Welcome to a Sunny Side Up Life podcast, a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity. I'm your host, Sammy Womack, a nationally recognized money expert, budgeting coach, and your very own hype squad. I'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode, gain financial freedom, stay motivated, and focus on what matters most. Join the movement and let's start living on the brighter side of life together. Hey guys, I'm so excited to announce that the podcast is converting from ongoing episodes to seasons. This will allow me to interview more impactful guests and take a much needed rest throughout the year. As a business owner, homeschooling mom, merchant marine wife, and person just trying to live an intentional life in this crazy world, this new format will be the best thing for my mental health and wealth. This season will include 12 awesome episodes with impactful topics and amazing guests. I am so excited to share everything that I have up my sleeve. Thanks so much for hanging in there through these changes. And as always, I appreciate your support. So I'm a budgeting coach and every day I help real people set up their real budgets. And in order to do this successfully, I designed a one of a kind budgeting system for everyone. The digital budgeting system is a set of digital worksheets that are perfect for any and every family's budgeting needs from beginners to pros. If you want an automated, color-coordinated, simplified and gorgeous way to organize your money, then you're in the right place. This is a simple six tab spreadsheet system hosted through Google Sheets full of formulas and shortcuts to make your budgeting life easier, as well as a how-to video to help you get it all set up. The best part, it's only 20 bucks. Visit asunnysideuplife.com slash budgeting or find the direct link in the show notes to get yours today. Just a reminder that everything discussed in today's episode will be linked in the episode show notes. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at A Sunny Side Up Life. And if you're ready to take control of your money and need guided instructions, check out my free budgeting challenge by going to asunnysideuplife.com. Now let's get into the episode. Welcome back to another solo episode. Yes, today you get just me, <laughs> but we are going to dig into a really great topic. I'm going to share with you five money choices that have changed my life, the lessons that I have learned from them. And this is basically going to be like a free coaching call. So get your notebook ready because I am about to spill the dirt. (laughs) So I am 34. My husband is about to turn 37. You know, we've learned a few things over the years. And I've made a few money choices. We have made a few money choices that have drastically changed the course of our lives. And these are kind of moments that are like suspended in time because they ultimately resulted in me being here today and me doing the work that I do. And I kind of think it, I I kind of think of it as like a ultimate big sister sacrifice. I'm the oldest of three girls. My husband is also the oldest child. We just both have oldest child syndrome in the best way. Like we want to help everyone else not make the same mistakes that we've made. We're constantly preaching this to our siblings, our friends that are basically family, right? And this is just part of why I love what I do is that I get to help you guys maybe not make the same mistakes that we've made or bounce back from them quicker than we did. So let's, let's just jump into them. Okay. So 
number one is going to be selling our big house and renting for almost five years. So we started this debt-free journey at the end of 2014. The beginning of 2014 was kind of our rock bottom moment. Um, October of 2014 is when I kind of set up our first little messy budget. Wasn't anything to you know, it it wasn't anything fancy. It was just like scratch piece of paper, kind of pay our bills on time at least kind of thing. By January of 2015, I actually made a debt snowball chart. My husband kind of started to get interested, you know, and we started to kind of make some headway in like February of 2015. We got our tax return. That was like a really nice (laughs) Nice time to just pay off a good chunk of debt and really get the ball rolling. So we've been on this debt-free journey, you know, pretty much since 2015, right? And it kind of went hand in hand with our minimalism journey. And kind of to backtrack just a tiny bit, in case you aren't familiar with my personal history, my family is in the auction business. We used to do a lot of estate auctions and antique auctions. Recently, my mom and my grandpa have kind of gotten into, what's the right way? It's like pallet auctions. They're basically returns and out-of-season things from like Target or Amazon, Walmart, Lowe's, places like that. So even when it was back in the estate days and now in the pallet days, you can imagine that I've had good deals at my fingertips for over a decade at this point, since before June was even born. So we've probably been in the auction business 12 or 13 years now. And I was also an auctioneer um, up until right between when Izzy and Mel were born. That was about the time that I quit for good. And so I had a lot of good deals at my fingertips multiple times a week, all week long, right? And it's hard to pass up those deals. If you listened to a couple episodes ago where I was talking about consumer culture, I talked a little bit more about that as well. So basically, our house got full of clutter pretty quickly. And we had a 3,200 square foot house little backstory on our house. This house was not meant to be our dream house. This house, actually my parents built to be their forever home, their dream home, their home that they had worked for their whole lives to be able to finally get. My dad was a home builder and our whole childhood, we grew up, you know, pretty much paycheck to paycheck. We lived in a single wide trailer. We lived in a really old farmhouse. We lived in a couple of different rent houses, you know, nothing glamorous at all. And we had finally got to the point where my dad's business had taken off enough that they were able to build this gorgeous house. They didn't live in it very long before my dad um, got diagnosed with lung cancer. He fought his lung cancer for about two years And after he died, my mom wanted to stay in the house, of course. 
And she tried for a while. It was like a year or two that she tried to pay for it herself, to take care of it herself, to live with the memories in general. Like it was just, it was just a hard situation all the way around, but it's a gorgeous house. And we owed way less than it was worth because my parents built it. You know, they, they didn't have it financed for fully what it was worth. So my mom's like, hey, do you guys want to take over this house? And part of it was, duh, it's a beautiful house for cheaper than market value. And the other part was kind of just family obligation. It was like, hey, we're the only ones who could afford it. Uh, my sisters weren't even full adults yet. My youngest sister was still in high school. And so we kind of took it over to like keep it in the house, to, to keep it in the family, to kind of help my mom for the fact of us getting a really good deal. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing that I think it was us kind of doing what was expected of us and not us really sitting down, hitting pause and thinking like, hey, is this really what we want? So this is a whole bigger lesson in the fact of we bit off way more than we could chew financially with owning a 3,200 square foot house. It was five bedroom, two and a half bathroom. It was huge. We, we bit off more than we could chew in maintaining the house. We bit off more than we could chew with the mortgage, the property taxes, all the things. And then, you know, paying the electric bill in a house that big, that's insane. That's insane, especially in Texas where it's 100 plus degrees for, you know, 40%, 50% of the year. Not quite that much, but it feels like it at some point. And it was just a lot. Not only the financial obligations, it was just us kind of, following this path of doing what we were air quotes supposed to do. And so it was kind of a double lesson. And so when we decided, Hey, we, we hustled through our debt. We sold our other real estate. We got down to the point that the house was the only debt left. And we were just really feeling this tug on our heart. Like, Hey, this is not our dream. This is not where we're supposed to be anymore. And we decided to list the house. But you guys, we're in East Texas. Like it wasn't just a, oh, let's list the house. We'll, we'll get a couple offers before the weekend's over. Our house was for sale for like a year and a half. Like we don't have a great housing market. The house was overbuilt for the area. It's above average size and value for, for the area. It was just not, you know, the best <laughs> situation to sell a house in. So we sat kind of in that limbo for like a year and a half. And then we decided we're going to rent. And we rented a tiny two bedroom, one bathroom. It was like 600 and something square feet. And we rented that house for four and a half years up until this past April when we bought the house that we're currently in. And so I think that is probably the number one choice, money choice that had the biggest influence on our life. Because not only did we realize we don't have to live in the path that people expect us to, we also freed ourselves from a, a lot of debt 
and from a really big mortgage payment, more than we could afford at the time, really. And so we were able, by renting and renting something so cheap, we were able to really kind of catch up on retirement and build up our savings and cash flow. A lot of the things that we have now, like my husband's truck, um, our RV that we have bought and sold and, <laughs> and since then, our current boat, you know, just things like that, that we wouldn't have been able to do if we would have had that expensive mortgage kind of weighing us down. Number two is deciding that we were going to pay cash for vehicles. I'm not saying that we're going to do this for the rest of our lives because I'm not a big fan of absolutes, but for the meantime, for this season of life, this is what we've decided to do. We've decided that if we can't pay cash for it, hundred percent, we can't afford it. We might change our mind in the future. So just <laughs> putting that, you know, disclaimer, but probably our second biggest money mistake was when we financed a brand new truck. It had like 12 miles on it. It was an 08 Silverado 1500 that we bought in April of 2008, a few months before we got married. So technically my husband bought it. It was just in his name, but I was in the dealership sitting right next to him when he signed it. So I was as much to blame for it as he was. And this truck was gorgeous. It was his dream truck. It was a big like, hey, I have made something of myself with this great paying job. Here I am. You know, I didn't need a co-signer. It was the first vehicle that, you know, was, was that kind of like prize for us. It was like a trophy for us, which is really silly looking back, saying that out loud, but it's true. It was just to prove that we were somebody, that we had made something of our lives. The bad part was, and the mistake part was, was that we really couldn't afford this truck. And not only that, the truck that he was trading in had like a negative, I don't know, 18 or 19 thousand dollar trade-in like he was upside down on the truck that he was trading in so he put a negative trade-in on top of a brand new <laughs> truck this was 800 and something dollars a month it we rounded it up to nine when we paid it off and it didn't really help I think it helped us pay off the truck maybe two or three months early it didn't help that much plus the fact of just I mean Daniel's always driven trucks you know, we have a diesel truck now, so fuel is not cheap. It's never been something that was really cheap for us, but also like we probably could have been smarter, maybe gotten something more fuel efficient for the time being insurance, you know, all the things. And just the fact of like, it's not really that smart to buy a brand new vehicle anyway, because they tell you how much they depreciate, you know, and that's not probably a really smart thing for 20 year olds to be doing with their money. Right. And so after we paid that truck off, we thought, you know, all of our money troubles are because we have this truck. And so as soon as the trucks paid off, everything will be better. How many of you have said that? We lived that way for so many years. Well, when the trucks paid off, you know, money won't be so tight. Well, 
the ironic part was the truck got paid off and we lived for a few months with it paid off. And I can't tell you where that money went. Almost $900 a month. I can't tell you where that extra money went. It was just gone because we didn't have a budget at the time. We had no forward thinking. We had no plan. And that money literally just dissolved. And it probably went into restaurants and random crap from Walmart and Target and clothes and just silly stuff. That's probably where it went. And that was a big part of my wake up call of like, oh, so it's not going to just automatically be better when the truck's paid off. So we decided we're never going to go back to that or not for now. I hate to say never, right? I'm not supposed to say absolutes. But just the freedom of not having car payments. Since then, we have cash flowed two vehicles. My car is an 07 Suburban. We cash flowed it for about 13000 back in 2017, I believe. Maybe 16. I can't remember. And then my husband has a 2012 2500 Silverado diesel we cash flowed it about four years ago for about 25000 We also have, we're on our second cash flowed boat. You know, we bought and sold the first one. We bought our second one. We still have it. We've bought and sold um, a fifth wheel camper. You know, little, little things like we have an 88 model tractor that my husband uses to mow our property and his mom's property. We have a four wheeler. We have a go kart. We have a tractor. We have a, sorry, a trailer to pull all that stuff on. You know, we've cash flowed some pretty big things over the years. And we've just decided, like, if we can't afford to cash flow these toys, which is essentially what they are, is really expensive toys, we can't afford them. I almost forgot about the third boat. My husband just bought like a really small flat bottom river boat. So that's our third cash flowed boat. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is what it's like living with my husband. But the thing is, is that we don't have payments on any of them. And so there's freedom in that. And statistics show us that in June of 2022, the average transaction price for a new car Topped over $48,000. This is the first time that it's gotten this high. This is an increase of 13% from 2021, which we know inflation is at an all-time high. Like, that's not a secret. So it doesn't really surprise me that that number is so inflated as well. But most new car purchases are financed. And the average monthly new car payment is around $700 a month. I have several clients that have car payments over $700 a month. And I can't, you know, I, I can't criticize that because I did it too. And it's completely normal. So now our plan is we're going to drive them until, you know, my Suburban is getting to the point where we're, we're going to have to sell it. It's probably worth about seven or 8,000 now. And we're like, Hey, if we can get six or seven thousand out of it that would be great that would help us towards the purchase of the next one our budget is going to be more like I would like to stay around 20 my husband would like to stay around 30 for my next suburban we'll see how that goes you know and kind of take off the difference of when we resell my current car and that's you know that's what we do so 
the hard part is getting ahead of that. The hard part is being able to have enough time to stack the cash before you need to replace your vehicle. So I know that it's not the easiest thing to do and I'm not totally against car payments, especially because you can get pretty low interest on car payments. So I always tell my clients, you know, consumer debt goes first, credit cards go first because the the interest is outrageous. Things like that, you know, put car put your car debt pretty low on the totem pole like down there around your mortgage because a lot of times it's pretty low unless it's just an outrageous outrageous interest rate or your payment is just crushing you you know it's not the most shameful thing because we have to have a reliable vehicle of course so I'm not going to shame you for having a car payment but this is just something for us that we were able to get ahead of and plan to try to stay ahead of and you know it's just been a really big game changer for us for sure Number three is that we continued to at least get our employer match on my husband's 401k while we were paying off debt. So funny story. We were pretty hardcore Dave Ramsey people at the beginning of our debt free journey like most people are. And Dave says to stop all retirement contributions to hustle and get your debt paid off because that money could be going to your debt. And at the time, we weren't putting any extra money in retirement anyway, except for the fact that my husband is in a union and part of their union contract is that we're required to do, I think, 3% out of his check has to go to 401k, but also they match that. And then we get like a half match on the next 2% or something like that. So it's a pretty good deal, but we're required to do 3%. And so since we were required to, that was, that was what we did. Like we just did what was required. So we didn't like get in trouble or whatever. We don't, you know, get kicked out of the union or something. And so that's what we did because we didn't have a choice, (laughs) And honestly, if we would have had a choice, I probably would have stopped those contributions and we would have kept that money to cash flow debt like Dave Ramsey says to do. Looking back, that is the best decision that we could have ever accidentally made because there were a solid 10 years in there from 06 when my husband first got his job to 16 when that was when we first like started like paying attention and doing, you know, all this 15 really, but 16 enough that like we were out of enough debt that like we actually cared about retirement by then. So 10 years. And I went back and looked his employer and our part and his employer part into his 401k was a hundred thousand dollars in that 10 years. That's crazy. Like the growth on it, like all that. It, it built up to $100,000. So to think if we wouldn't have done that over a tiny 3%, we still got out of debt anyway, like we were fine. That's insane. The craziest part is not just that $100,000 in itself. It's the fact of what compound interest does to that $100,000. If that $100,000 was to just sit there if we put absolutely nothing in it, 
and it returned 8%, which is about average. Obviously, there's going to be the years where you don't, where the market doesn't return as much, but then you're going to have other years where it returns more. That's where we come up, you know, roughly 8%. If it was to sit there for 40 years, you're talking about over $2 million. So to think that if we wouldn't have done just that little tiny 3% to get that employer match, to take advantage of that quote unquote free money, that would cost us multiple millions of dollars. That's insane. And on the topic of free money, it's I say quote unquote free money because it's not free money, you guys. This is part of your compensation. You are literally throwing money out the window, flushing it down the toilet, whatever kind of word you want to use here. If you don't take advantage of this, this is part of your pay. This is like if you had a certain amount of sick days or personal days and you didn't take them. This is part of your perks of your job. So this money is money that they're giving you. (laughs) So why not take advantage of it? And also kind of, you know, especially when you have it coming straight out of your check, something does that mentally. Obviously it's the same amount of money, but if you don't even see it come into your bank account, it doesn't hurt as bad. It just like, oh yeah, hey, that's just required, you know, and you get, you eventually get used to it. Or ideally, you set this up from the very beginning of your working life, you know, so if you didn't do that for yourselves, urge your kids and the young people around you to do this before you ever get used to that money. I wish I could go back and just slap myself, but can't. So that was a huge money decision that changed our life because like I said, that's going to turn into like $2 million. Not even, not even counting what we've added since then. It's insane. So number four is separating our money into five different bank accounts. Okay, you might have seen me post on Instagram about this. I reshare this every once in a while because it always gets a huge reaction. I always get a ton of an influx of followers from these posts because it is a... It's, it's a really, it's a really big game changer. That's all. (laughs) I don't know a better way to say that. It's a big game changer. So basically what we do, if you're not familiar with this is we separate out our money into a bills account, a spending account, a sinking fund account, a local savings account. And number five is a high yield savings account. So our high yield savings account is probably the one I get the most questions about so we personally use Ally Bank, A-L-L-Y.com. I'm not an affiliate of them. I would love to be, but I'm not, and I still recommend them. We've used them for, I don't know, maybe four years at this point. Their current return on savings account, I think at the time of recording this, is like 2%. Before COVID, I think it was over 2 and then it went way down because of COVID and the market and everything that happened. And so it does change. But you just don't earn that kind of return from a savings account. My local savings account is half a percent. 
half a percent. Like it costs money sometimes to have a local savings account because then they'll hit you with fees for transferring money too often or something or not having enough transactions. And they're like, oh, $8 monthly fee or whatever. And so sometimes it costs you money to have those local savings accounts. But with Ally, we actually make a little bit of money with our savings. And another one of the pros is kind of having it separate because it is in one of the cons also is that the transfers back and forth from our local bank to Ally usually take around one to three business days. I feel like they've gotten faster recently. I feel like it's recently when I've done transfers, it's just been like one business day. But I personally kind of like that it's one business day away because that way I can't go and impulse buy something that's a couple thousand dollars. You don't need to do that right? So it gives you a little bit of time to kind of think it through, but it also isn't so far away that it's like tied up in a brokerage account or a CD or a money market account or something like that. You don't have to pay taxes on it when you pull it out or anything like that. And it does earn you a little bit. Obviously, you know, you don't want an insane amount of money there. I do think that there is a limit of like having too much in savings. We won't get into all of that, but you know, a decent emergency fund over there, or if you're saving up to cash flow, something like a vehicle or a down payment on a piece of real estate or something like that. So for example, the most recent thing we bought was my husband bought that riverboat um, a few weeks ago and he found it on Facebook marketplace, set up a meeting time with the seller, all the things. And he was like, Hey, you know, um, can you go to the bank and like, can you transfer the money from ally? First of all, So I did that a couple days in advance. And then the next day I went to our local bank, pulled out the cash. And then Saturday he was able to buy the boat and it wasn't that big of a deal. So that was really nice. Um, The reason why kind of having a local savings, so that would kind of, will kind of work backwards, I guess. So (laughs) the high yield was savings account was bank account number five. The local savings is number four. And for that one, it's kind of like your immediate emergency fund. I would say like maybe a thousand dollars, three thousand, something you know, small, a small savings account. You don't want your three to six months savings really there necessarily because it could be earning you more in a high yield. But you do want that money where you can do an instant transfer. You have to call a tow truck. You you know your car breaks down. Um, you have to buy a last minute plane ticket to get to a family member. If there is an emergency, you have to, I don't know, book a hotel room or buy a bunch of gas because there's a natural disaster. There's so many things, right? Where you don't want all of your money one to three business days away. That's terrifying. That's anxiety inducing. Like I would never recommend that, but you don't want it to be so much that you're literally losing money that you could be making. So there is kind of a sweet spot balance and that is kind of different for everyone. That's something that we work on in one-on-one coaching to kind of find what that sweet spot is for everyone. But that's why we do that. So bank account number three would be your sinking fund. If you're not familiar with sinking funds, they are like this revolutionary thing. Think of a Venn diagram. Um, one side is Venn diagrams, like those circles that overlap, right? Remember those? So one side is a spending account. 
the second side is a savings account. A sinking fund is where those two overlap. So you do save up for things, but you save up for things that you intend to spend money on at some point. So like an emergency fund, you're like, you better have a good reason if you're going to touch that money, right? Spending account is like, yeah, of course I'm going to spend it between now and payday. <laughs> sinking fund is somewhere in between. So sinking fund would fall into the categories of like holidays, Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries, any holiday that you would spend money on. Also things like car maintenance, home maintenance. It's really good to have a sinking fund for medical expenses. If you, you know, co-pays, things like that, vet bills, um, also kids activities like registration fees for their extracurriculars or equipment or, you know, new dance shoes or soccer cleats or whatever you need. Things like registration fees for school, things like that. So kids activities is a really big one that a lot of my clients have. There's just a lot of things like that. I've had people do some uh, travel. That's a big one. I almost forgot that. I've had some people do some pretty strange ones, some very like unique to their family ones. Not strange, but you know, unique. People that like, um, let's see, we've done like firewood. If you heat your house by firewood, like you save up and spend a few hundred dollars on firewood or filling your propane tank, that's pretty expensive. Um, I've had a couple people who will buy big chunks of meat, like a whole cow worth of meat to like stock their freezer. And that's like, I don't, I don't think it was like $800 or something for the one client that did that. And just things like that where you're like, yeah, I don't really want to pay for that all at once. I think I'm going to save up for it a little by little. So for example, you want to spend $1,200 on Christmas, you put $100 aside a month and sink it away. And so basically you take these total numbers, you kind of make a whole list of, you know, holidays, travel, car maintenance, blah, 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 all the things and have your total list. You divide it up. You can do it once monthly. You can do it every single time you get paid. That might be divided by 24, divided by 26 or 52 or whatever you need to do. And you kind of sink money away. I personally love to have a sinking fund with a debit card attached because there's going to be clothes. That's another one. There are going to be purchases that you're going to have to make that you're going to need a debit card for. Getting your oil changed, buying clothes, buying Christmas gifts, booking a flight. There's lots of things that you need a card to do that with. So I personally like to have mine as a debit account. I've had some people do them as a savings account. I've even had some people do them at Ally with their savings because they do buckets. So you can have it in one account and then digitally kind of have it separated with the Ally bucket system. And some people love to do that as well. Account number two is a spending account. So spending, you would have a debit card attached. I've had some people that do cash for spending. I've had some people that do credit cards for spending. It doesn't matter whatever kind of account you choose to do. But basically what you do with your spending is this account is only for things like gas, groceries, restaurants, fun money, things like that. And basically what you do is you give yourself a budget for that budget period, for the two-week period or the one-week period or the month or however long your budget period is, and you set that money aside. 
that's a huge game changer because that way when you're buying groceries or you're out just spending your fun money or going to restaurants or whatever you're doing, you're not accidentally spending money that was supposed to be sent to a bill that just hadn't cleared the account yet. You're not accidentally chipping into your Christmas money or your emergency fund. It's so much easier, especially if you have a debit card account, you just log on to your bank. You're like, Oh, I have $230 left. Payday is four days away. Sounds good. Guess I can go to the drive-thru and get me some dinner, right? You know, you're good to go. And it really helps, you know, obviously cash would be easy to see how much you have left. I'm just seeing more and more and more with my clients. Cash is just, we're, we're moving to a cashless world. You know, we order our groceries on an app. We pay at the pump for gas. We order our food on apps, all the things. And like, you need a card to do that. I do have quite a few clients who do their spending on credit cards and they pay it off the next payday. And that can be done too. I think it is a little more challenging because it's a little harder to keep up with where your balance is unless you have one credit card for spending and another one for bills, right? So if you have like your electric bill coming out of the same credit card, it's going to be a little hard to kind of keep up with what that balance is specifically just for spending, right? So that kind of leads us to one, number one bank account is the bills account. And this is an account, basically, I use it as kind of like the hub. It's like the home account where your direct deposit goes into, you leave enough in it just to pay the bills that are due until the next payday. You do want to leave a little bit of a buffer, like a hundred bucks or a thousand, whatever makes you feel comfortable. I've had people basically leave, I've had people leave their whole emergency fund in their bills account because it makes them feel safe. I've had other people that leave just like 50 because they're like, if there's extra money in there and I have a debit card, I'm going to spend it. I can't, I don't, you know, and everything in between. Again, that's another sweet spot that we kind of work on in one-on-one coaching. So you leave just enough to pay your bills until the next payday, a little bit of a buffer, whatever you decide is a good amount, basically. So your account doesn't go to zero. A hundred dollars is a really good amount. The math is easy. It's not that much money that you're missing it from your savings or anything like that. And then from there, you transfer to your spending account or you pull out in cash, whatever you want to do, what your spending allowance is until payday. You transfer over your sinking funds, what you've decided, you divide it up. You know, if it was like Christmas, for example, you're doing $1,200 for the whole year, you transfer over your $100 sinking funds. Usually it's multiple hundreds because you've done several different categories, right? But transfer over your sinking funds. If you need to refill your emergency fund for any reason, or you're still working on building it, you'd put some money in savings. And that's kind of how it goes. Any extra money basically could go to savings or debt. And it's really easy to kind of visualize it in this way. And also, if you're familiar with my worksheets, the digital budgeting system, it's set up this way. It's color coordinated this way. So like your bills account is blue, your spending account is purple, your sinking fund is red. Yeah. And your savings is orange. I like blank for a second. And it's so easy to just kind of visualize it and, and separate it. And this has been a huge game changer for us. It's been a huge game changer for every one of my clients that um, app that applies it. And it's really awesome for my husband also because he's not hands-on with our budget at all. I just transfer our money into spending and he knows when paydays are. 
but he can go and very easily look at the spending account and see how much money is available to spend without having to worry about did the bills get paid? Did she transfer money to sinking funds or savings like we were supposed to? He knows that in that spending account with that debit card, that's all it's free game. It's up to spend, you know, and he can very easily spend it without having to have like a whole conversation about it. All right. Number five, tracking our net worth every single two weeks. So my husband gets paid every single two weeks. I pay myself once a month, but we do our budget period every two weeks. So every single two weeks on his paydays, I go in, it's part of our payday routine at this point for, for me to update our net worth chart. Also in my budgeting system, worksheets, there is a tab for your net worth. So if you're not aware with how to calculate your net worth, very simply, it is what you own minus what you owe. So the resale value of your house, your vehicles, um, anything like expensive you have, like expensive jewelry or like a boat or something like that. Also, the current value of any investment accounts that you have, retirement accounts, savings accounts, anything like that, that all counts as in your assets column. And then in your liabilities column, what you owe is any debt you have, simply. Like what you still owe on your house, what you still owe on vehicles or credit cards or student loans or medical bills or anything like that. So if your house is resale value worth 200000 you would put 200000 in the assets column, but you still owe 150 on it, you'd put negative 150 in your liabilities column. So you, that comes out to positive 50000 right? You have $50,000 worth of equity in your house, and that gets to count a positive 50,000 towards your net worth. So essentially when people say that they're a millionaire, that means their net worth equals a million dollars, right? It doesn't have to be like, oh, they have a million dollars in cash. <laughs> it means that their assets minus their liabilities equals at least a million dollars. And so that's how you get there. And so for us, I go and I track that every single two weeks. I track the resale value of our vehicles I don't track it super close. I usually go in at least once or twice a year and look up the Kelly Blue Book value. I'm not like super worried about it, but I at least keep like a rough value in there for all of our vehicles. Um, with things like our boats and things like that, I more or less guess. I'm like, if we were to list it right now for sale, what would I put it as? And like, we just kind of go based on that. Like it doesn't have to be, a perfect science, but it's close. Um, same thing with our house. I kind of, since we just bought our house in April, I still am counting as the appraisal value. Obviously that'll change over the, t over time. And I'll probably just kind of go based on like what Zillow says or like what, um, a house in our neighborhood sells for or something like that. Things like that, right? So I also will go and every single two weeks log into all of our investment accounts. We have accounts at Fidelity. We have an account at Vanguard. I have a, an account from when I was in high school. I still have it, Edward Jones. I will pull up all three of these websites and like click, 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 open them all, log in, copy and paste how much all of our accounts are worth, 
I'll go check on our savings account. Like, did we earn any money in interest? What is that at now? And I do that every single two weeks. So this helps me stay hyper aware. I would say moderately aware. Let's let's backtrack on that. I would say moderately aware because it's not enough to be like anxiety ridden over the stock market going up and down. I don't check it every single day. I don't really worry about it, but I am paying attention. I know when the market is down, you know, I know when our net worth changes. I know when a principal payment is made on our house. I know when our savings account interest gets applied, things like that. It's not enough to really stress over, but it is enough that I feel like I have control over what's going on. And it also really helps me keep in mind the bigger picture. So the bigger picture for us is retirement. It's our retirement amount goal, which is one and a half million. That's our number that once we get to that number, that's when my husband plans to retire from his current job. So far, we're, we're more or less on track for it. So we'll see, you know, <laughs> how that goes. Um, but that's kind of our goal is to get to that number. So by me tracking it, I can kind of see like, are we still on track for that? Obviously, it's going to fluctuate because the market changes. But it helps me stay focused on the bigger picture. And it helps me really kind of pull myself out of that day to day where it starts to feel like it's never going to happen. I'm never going to get there. It's so many years away or I'm never going to be able to pay our house off or, you know, whatever debts you have, things like that. So it helps you kind of stay focused on that bigger picture and also kind of helps you stay aware in the moment. And it's just very empowering to be like, yeah, I know. I have retirement accounts. I check on them regularly and that's me. And I know what our net worth is. And I even have this little chart where I graph, I have a graph that goes and does it. And I've been tracking that for like four years, I think now it's crazy. But another thing that you can get in my worksheet set. So in the net worth chart tab, there's also a chart that will make you a nice, pretty little graph. So if you've ever seen my graph that I share on Instagram, that's where I got it from. So yeah. Okay. So that was my five biggest money choices that I feel like have changed our lives. I hope that that was helpful to you. I hope that you were able to kind of pull little nuggets of information out. And especially with the five bank accounts, that's such a game changer. And that's something so easy and a very beginner friendly step that you can make. Also, just kind of realizing that you can pull yourself out of what is expected of you, what you think is normal. So if that is like, hey, we do need to like sell our house and live in something cheaper or smaller, um, maybe next time we save up and cash flow our vehicles, you know, maybe we do need to be looking into contributing to our 401k to get that employer match. And yeah, maybe we do need to be tracking our net worth. I don't even know. I don't even know the logins to all of my bank accounts. That's super, super common for my clients. So don't beat yourself up if that's you. But, you know, dig in and pick one thing and start going in on it and then work to the next thing. It doesn't have to be done all at once. It can be done over the course of a couple of months. That's definitely what we do in one-on-one -on -one coaching. 
um, where I will help you for 12 weeks. So if that's something you're interested in, hit me up for sure. I would love to help you one-on-one and kind of find that personalized sweet spot balance like we were talking about with what's a good amount for your emergency fund. I don't know what's your, you know, all the different things that we can really do in one-on-one coaching. But that is all for me today. Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a sunny side up life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a review. Five-star reviews are what help the podcast grow. Don't forget to check out the episode show notes for links to everything that we talked about today, as well as tons of free resources to help you on your financial independence journey, like my monthly newsletter, budgeting challenges, fun downloads, and more. Head over to a sunnysideuplife.com to get started. And if you want to keep up with me in the day to day, don't forget to follow me on social media at a sunny side up life. Well, that's all for me this week. Bye guys.